Good morning. It's been such a blessing to be with you all this morning and uh, also uh, to be with you this, uh, this past weekend and at this very blessed uh, conference. And uh, I pray that we would just continue to ask God for his guidance and his direction as we look for that blessed hope of the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This morning, we want to look at Habakkuk, which is the Hebrew pronunciation of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. There's a very familiar passage that you'll find there in in verse 4, and uh, that's going to be our focus for today. The just shall live by faith. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tablets that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. Because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. I thank you, Lord, for the beauty of the worship and the the heart that was lifted up to you this morning. The songs, Lord, that speak from our heart to you in giving you all the praise, honor, and glory that you are worthy of. Fill us with your spirit and give us wisdom and understanding now as we read your word in Jesus' name. Amen. At the risk of sounding simplistic, let me ask this question. When you ask a question, just what is it that you want? You're probably saying, duh, I want an answer. But more than that, aren't you saying that you want the right answer? When we were introduced, or when we were introduced to the prophet Habakkuk, we, we learned that he was looking for an answer from God as he watched the faithlessness of his own people and homeland. He wondered why the Lord didn't bring about change within the nation. And so Habakkuk complained about God's seeming lack of concern. Now, The context of the first chapter is this. When Habakkuk complained about God's inactivity, the Lord gave him an answer that distressed and troubled him even more. God was going to send the wicked nation of Babylon as an instrument of judgment on his own people. And this this was not the answer that Habakkuk was looking for. In fact, he, he found it hard to believe that God would use an even more sinful and even and, and evil people to establish his righteousness. For the prophet, this seemed inconsistent. It didn't make sense. But to his credit, he didn't give up on God. Habakkuk learned to wait on God, even when he did not understand him. Which brings to mind this, this wonderful passage from Proverbs. I think we all know it. Maybe we've all memorized it. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct 
thy paths. One thing that God's people need when seeking answers from the Lord is patience. And we all know about patience, right? We, so the one thing that we all seem to desire and ask for God almost every day. Sometimes we ask it in that, in that very precious way, right? Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. You know, because that's, that's how we think we're in need of something of that sort. And while we need to be diligent, we must be patient as well, especially in prayer. And this is where we find Habakkuk at the onset of chapter 2. When he says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. As the prophet learned, we, we don't always receive the answers that we want, nor do we receive answers immediately. Ours is to always remember that the Lord responds in his perfect timing and according to his will. Hence the, the need for patiently seeking answers from him. But what we also learn about Habakkuk in this one verse is that he is not passive or idle in waiting. He stood watch like a guard and waited for God's answer. He, he set his heart and his mind to stand watch, determined to be diligent and purposeful, listening with all his might for God's voice. I think sometimes too often we want to act before we wait. And oftentimes we get in trouble doing that. And yet the Lord is so patient with us. He's the example of patience. And I think we learn that day by day. We have to listen with all of our might to hear God's voice. Even with our Bibles open, we have to wait and we have to listen. And this is the, this is the essence of a true prophet of God. Waiting for the words of God. The message the Lord has for his people. And Habakkuk waited with expectancy, determined to be ready and alert, even expecting rebuke for his complaint. That's what we see at the end of that verse. Waiting even for rebuke. In fact, he was reserving any comment until he's able to understand, which fits with the proverb. No leaning on his own understanding. It's important to take notice of, of Habakkuk's faith and trust in the Lord. His faith was, was proven by his willingness to wait. His trust in the Lord was real. Evidenced by his willingness to stand watch. This is truly a genuine trust. People with little or no faith show their impatience, unwilling to wait, much like an impulsive child, demanding answers immediately. And if they don't get it, they grow even more impatient and move on to another thing, just huffing and puffing, you know. You ever huffed and puffed from one thing to another? I think we all have. We may not want to admit it, but I think we do that. True faith requires patience, and patience brings about a very precious thing. It brings about a maturity in Christ. And we all need to desire to be more mature day by day than the previous days that we've lived. 
The Apostle Paul teaches us about that in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, when he says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Now that's a, that, that kind of rubs against us, doesn't it? I mean, it kind of rubs against the natural thinking of our, of our minds. God wants us to trust in our hearts when we face trials, when we face troubles, when we face tribulations, when we face the things that we're going to be facing from here until the day of Jesus Christ, until that day that the blessed hope is revealed. He says, not only so, but we glory in tribulations, also knowing that tribulation worketh or produces patience. That struggle that we go through, God has allowed to produce patience in us. And patience, and grammatically speaking, this this says patience produces experience. It worketh experience. And experience produces hope. And hope maketh not ashamed. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to realize that the hope that the scriptures speak of, that includes the blessed hope of the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, is a hope that you can trust in is a hope that you can believe in, is a hope that you can hold fast to. It's not like the hope of the, uh, of the world. It's not like the hope, there's a hopeless hope that's, that people have in, in the world today. They're hoping something happens, but they're not sure it's going to happen. I always tell the people back in Texas, because, you know, over there, uh, I, I don't think they realize this unless they're watching me now, but, uh, you know, I really like Green Bay because... Uh, you know, the Packers, I grew up watching Ray Nitsky, okay, he was my, he was my idol kind of thing, you know, playing football, and, uh, but, but anyway, don't tell anybody in Texas, but I always tell my, my people, because they're just rabid cowboy fans, when I'm trying to explain this understanding about hope, it's like, look, I know that you're hoping to get into the Super Bowl, but here we go, another year, we have to hope again because it's not going to happen. Oh, psh, again. Can you cut that part off? Of the... See, in the world, we say we hope it's going to happen, but we're not sure it's going to happen. But when the Bible tells us that there's something that we can hope for because we've gone through struggles, we've gone through trials, that trouble produces the patience in us. The patience is the experience that we have in walking with the Lord. And we know then that because of the word of God, what we are hoping in is going to come to pass. It will happen. And we can rejoice in that. And hope maketh not ashamed. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, of the Holy Spirit that is given unto us. The Greek word for patience in this passage is the, the word hupomonen, and it, it literally means steadfastness, perseverance, and endurance. And it is that quality that deepens the believer's character which results in hope. Consider, if you will, also these passages, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy. 
And again, you need to know the Lord Jesus Christ to understand this. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now, the natural in us is saying, you know, I fall into a diverse temptation. I don't have a lot of joy in that. But in our spirits, we can truly say, oh, listen, I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but I know that because God is in this. The Lord has brought me through this. He's bringing me through this so I can grow in patience and perseverance and all. I can rejoice. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying or the testing of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, entire, wanting nothing. Psalm 27 verse 14 says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. These are certainly directives that if we take to heart, the next time we face a trial, the next time we face some kind of a trouble that, that uh, is unexpected, which most of them are, we can say, I will wait on the Lord. And as Isaiah 40 verse 31 says, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint. The older I get, I don't run anymore. I do a lot of walking. So I'm thankful for at least you know the statement, you run first and then later on you walk. And that's okay because most of us are getting there. But either way, we're not weary and we don't faint because we're waiting upon the strength that God himself gives us through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so when God's answer comes, it, it always comes clearly as in the next two verses of our text. Going back to Habakkuk chapter 2 verses 2 and 3 where, where he says, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tablets that, that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. And certainly the Lord unmistakably reveals his will to those who wait on him and who are willing to obey, and it is obedience that is the key here. God's answers to our prayers may not be what we expect. But he does answer. And he answers decisively. Telling us what to do. There may be no explanation as to why. And we may not even understand the reasons for his answers. Or, or for his instructions. But by trusting the Lord and obeying his word. The reasons usually become very clear. We must obey the word of the Lord. By acting on it. Habakkuk is is told to write the vision. In other words, record the vision, but first the prophet had to see the vision itself. I, every pastor understands this. We understand that before we can come and present the word of God to you, it's got to speak to us. It may not be as clear as we would like it to be sometimes, but we desire the clarity, the, the best clarity we can get because we have to present this as God's word to you. 
And so it has to affect us first. I know, I know, K-N-O-W, no, N-O, pastor. I know no pastor who flips through his concordance on Sunday morning at 8.30 to teach at 9 o'clock to say, hmm, I wonder what I'm going to say today. We, we've agonized over these passages. We agonize when we hear God speak and say, this is your text. Now, the good thing for us in Calvary Chapel is we, we, we teach in our churches from Genesis to Revelation. And, and yet still, God, we're, we're all in different places. I, th- I believe you're in Isaiah here and we're in, in John on Sunday mornings. I know Chris is in John on Sunday mornings too. So I can't wait. See, I'm ahead of him and I, I would like to hear him be ahead of me so I can steal his stuff. But, uh, but we know where we are. But we can't take, take it for granted. We, we realize that God has us in whatever books we're in. So we're on Ezekiel on Wednesday nights, and, and you, so you're other, in other books on, on your week, uh, midweek studies. The point is, we, we're hearing from God, and it's as if this is a passage God wants our people to be in today. What are we going to say? Because it isn't just to get the information into your mind. It is to get the truth into your heart. And this is what, where Habakkuk is. You know, he's, he's told to write this vision, but first he has to see the vision. And how would Habakkuk ever be able to get the people to see the vision of what he's proclaiming if he, first, if he doesn't first see it for himself? And so, so he was to record the word of God because it was a critical message. It had to be recorded for all the people to read and to hear and to see. And he was then to make the vision known as clearly as possible and in as many ways as possible. It was to be as clear as possible so that the ones receiving the message from God's word would then run and tell others what the vision, message, and the word of God had to say to the nation. And there is also a sense that those who read it and believe the message will flee from the coming destruction set to fall on the rebellious and disobedient people by the Babylonians. But we don't want to bypass a significant and a very beautiful statement, by the way. It's that statement that says, and the Lord answered me. Habakkuk said, and the Lord answered me. God's message had finally come to the prophet that stood watch and waited expectantly, likely for a very long time. God's revelation, which includes his vision and his plan, would be fulfilled in an appointed time. Times that can be called the times of the end, the end times, the latter days, the last days, at the return of the Messiah. Paul refers to this passage in Habakkuk as as he encouraged those being persecuted for their faith to persevere. In Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 36 to 39. It is written, For you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. The Lord had had told Habakkuk that his plan for dealing with evil, 
for establishing justice on earth would be revealed according to God's time frame and not the prophet's time frame nor that of any other man. That meant that once again the prophet had to wait. But folks, that's a good thing. Because God's vision and plan would be fully disclosed and fully accomplished in God's perfect time. What we do know of God's plan up to this point is that it is a, it is a certainty. It, it, it spoke of the end. The end of Babylonian domination. And the end times when Christ returns to set up his kingdom on the earth. And this one phrase we don't want to forget. Though it tarry, wait for it. This didn't mean that the Lord's revelation would be full, fulfilled quickly or according to the prophet's desired time frame. It meant that the fulfillment of God's plans would not be delayed beyond the time that he had appointed it. Not even for a moment. In fact, though the end may seem to tarry or to be delayed, it will surely come. God's judgment of evil and his establishment of justice on the earth are certainties. They will be accomplished at their appointed times. All of history is moving toward this climactic finish. Take note that the Lord warned the prophet and the people to be patient. Wait for it, he said. Wait for it. The command is meant for us also, all who read God's word today. Remember, patience is required, but we cannot wait passively. We must stand. We must stand watch. We must stand and watch and be alert and be ready to act. The words of Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 44 should encourage our hearts. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Be ready. He's coming. In James chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be ye also patient, he says. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Establish your hearts. Daniel purposed in his heart not to eat the delicacies of, of, of Babylon. I mentioned at the close of the conference yesterday that uh, that's what we need to do. We need a purpose in our hearts to be ready. Not to be influenced by the things of this world. The temptations are many and varied. And they come at us sometimes at, a, at an increased level with social media and all of the different ways that we can bring in these ideas and thoughts of the world into our homes and, and wherever we may be. But James says, be ye also patient, establish your hearts, establish your heart, purpose in your heart to stand and watch and wait and be ready for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Revelation 3 verse 11 says, behold, I come quickly, hold that fast which thou hast that no man take thy crown. We have to be ready. We have to be watching. We can't we can't let our guard down, as it were. Revelation 22, verse 7 says, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And in Revelation 22, verse 20, He which testified these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. I come quickly. If he's coming quickly, we, it could happen even this very moment. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That he could come right now to take us home. But we have to be ready. 
And so the mystery of God's long toleration and allowance of of evil will be finished and the reign of righteousness will have come in. And it is to this period of blessing that Habakkuk was to look forward. And yet, in the meantime, there was the self-willed, self-sufficient, crooked and corrupt Babylonians in all of their arrogance and pride to be in contrast to. Look at the beginning there of verse 4. Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. We, as believers in Jesus Christ today, live in the midst of contrasts. In fact, the very statement, the just shall live by faith, brings us to this understanding that we are sitting between two issues in life. Sin will bring in the issue, you know, will will usher in, as it were, the issue of destruction and death. But faith brings us to eternal life. These are the contrasts that we see throughout all of Scripture. And this is the core of the Lord's message here. He told Habakkuk to consider the proud and the self-sufficient Babylonians led, of course, and would be led by by Nebuchadnezzar, but to consider the proud, the self-sufficient Babylonians contrasting between the unrighteous and the righteous. The unrighteous are arrogant. They're puffed up. They're lifted up in their own minds. Proud and conceited. They're self-reliant, depending on their own strength and power. Their souls are also corrupt and crooked, not straight and upright. And the picture is that of, that of being swollen with evil desires and wicked schemes, living by the lusts of their flesh. Peter and Paul both mention these types of people. Second Peter 2 verse 10, uh, Peter says, But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed, they're not, they're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Paul, in in speaking in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, says, And you has he quickened, you has he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. In other words, our conduct in times past. In the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Those living by the lusts of their flesh have desires and ambitions that are perverse, and they are faithless, and they are untrustworthy. But contrast them to the righteous or the just, because these live by faith. In direct contrast to the proud and faithless are the righteous who live by faith. This means more than just faith or trust in God. Because the Hebrew word emuna for faith implies faithfulness and steadfastness. And so they live faithfully and steadfastly. And if we are to live as believers in Jesus Christ in these last days, it isn't just a matter of trust, it is a matter of trust and Action, trust and obey, trust and be ready. They live in trusting fellowship with the Lord, 
depending on him for strength and daily needs. And this includes living according to and in obedience to God's word. Faithfulness, therefore, is not only an outward behavior, but an inward attitude. And it is also stability. This is what makes the righteous person faithful, stable, and strong. This message is no less critical today. It is so important that it appears in other scriptures, as we saw in Hebrews, the just shall live by faith. But the words are also directly quoted in Romans by Paul, as well as in Galatians. Romans chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. I believe most of us are familiar with this passage. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And again, we see this contrast between living by faith and the times in which we live. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. We're seeing this happen in our day and time. We've talked about how the, you know, the, the, the wearing away the, the, the beating upon the, even the church of Jesus Christ, the enemy reducing its strength by taking, away, taking uh, many churches and many leaders in the church away from the truth of the word of God and, and trusting in, 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 in man's ways and trusting in man's understanding or man's intellect and not in the word of God. But these are the times in which we live. Galatians 3.11, Paul said, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. In addition, there are dozens of other references to righteousness and justification by faith. The Lord knows how important this message is even to our own survival, and he reminds us of it continually through his word. Consequently, we, we must wholeheartedly determine to live by faith no matter what the circumstances We must trust the Lord to carry us through every trial. And we will face them. In fact, I'm sure we're sitting here today having faced a few trials already this week. Maybe even this morning before coming here. Or you're facing something that you know is bound to happen this week. Will you face it by living by faith? We must trust the Lord then. To carry us through those trials, every experience of suffering and affliction, just as he did for the remnant of Israel. I want to close with, with something that has, has always been a, a, a mainstay for me, a, a verse of scripture. Uh, we all have our favorite verses of scripture, don't we? And isn't it interesting that when we have our favorite verses of Scripture, it's not just one favorite verse, it becomes another favorite verse, and then there's another favorite verse, and all of a sudden you have a book of favorite verses. Eventually you just say, well, here it is. This is my favorite verse right here. But uh, there are some that just don't ever go away from you. And I'm going to share a couple of them with you. (laughs) I just started thinking, I'm going to share one with you. I'm going to share a couple of them. might even end up being three. But I want to begin with this one because I believe this is the, the rock that, that God has given me. My life verse from a from long, long time ago. 
coming to know Jesus in the time of the Jesus movement and young and idealistic and thinking of so many things that I wanted to do in my own life and then coming to the realization that, as that old song says, you can have all this world, just give me Jesus. It's Galatians 2.20, where Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. He doesn't say, I might be crucified with Christ. I'm thinking about being crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. This is a stand that Paul is taking. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Because you see, to be crucified is, is, is really just a, a statement of death. I've died to myself. I've died to the things of this world. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I believe with all of my heart that I can stand against any storm, any flood, of opposition or of attacks from the enemy, the world, the flesh, the devil, knowing this, that I am crucified with Jesus. Yet I live. Not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live today in the flesh, because if you notice, we're all still kind of in flesh. Yeah, pinch yourself just to make sure you do know that. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. The faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you're, if, if you're not certain, may I tell you, God loves you. If you're thinking that the trials that you're going through right now, as heavy as they may be, are, are saying to you that God has forgotten you, or the Lord has, has, has set you aside, or he's picking on you, or whatever it might be that you're thinking, may I remind you that God loves you through these things? And that in effect, for many of you, he's taking you through this in his loving grace, because he gave himself for you. Be encouraged, folks. Be encouraged, church, that when we stand on this truth by faith, for the just shall live by faith, We've got hope. We have got hope. And that blessed hope becomes clearer for us day by day. We see the things of the world happening. What do we say? Jesus is coming. More now today than when Dwight and I and Chris and uh, years and years ago when we first came to the Lord and said, you know, back in the 70s, it could be at any moment. Pastor Chuck always said that. It could be at any moment. Okay. And then the 80s came. And people were saying, well, we're not sure. But, but we never doubted because it could happen at any moment. Forty years later, some of us are saying it could happen any moment. He's coming. That's the hope. So may I encourage you then to heed the words of Jesus who said, keep looking up and lift up your head for your redemption draweth nigh. Keep looking up. We can only keep looking up because we know 
that we live by faith and we trust in the Lord and we trust in his word and we know that whatever trial that we're going to face, it's there that God will use to bring us even closer and draw near to his heart while we wait for his return. So keep looking up. Don't get into that text neck thing. We were talking about that yesterday. So many people looking at their texting and running into you know, walls and falling into fountains and all kinds of stuff, you know, because they're not looking up. We need to look up because Jesus is coming. Be ready for it. And then remember what Jesus said to his disciples before he went to the cross. John 14, remember this? I'm giving away all my favorite verses. You can have them too. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. He's coming. The blessed hope is here. It's coming. Let's be ready. Let's be ready. Before I close in prayer, I want to I thank the Lord so much for Dwight, for Judy, and for Calvary Chapel Appleton, for you for your great hospitality. I want to thank the Lord for just the heart that you have for the love of Jesus Christ and for the word of God. Stay in the word of God and pray for us in El Paso because we want to continue to follow the Lord faithfully and genuinely and openly and honestly. And pray for your pastors. Pray for the work that they do each and every day. I, I am I'm so blessed. Dwight has become such a, a, a tremendous example for me. And I, and I can tell you, I can tell you, he's only, I think, two years older than me. So, but, you know, big brother. <laughs> but I'm blessed. And I'm blessed by you. Thank you so much. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the blessed privilege you've given us to serve you in these last days, in these times of trouble and trial that we see around us. And yet we ourselves here today can rejoice. Not as if they're not happening. We don't rejoice in in denial. We rejoice because we know what it means that you're coming again, Lord. And that that day can can even be today. And so I pray, Father, for those that are here that need you and, and are not sure about where they stand with you. I pray for them, Lord. I pray that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, will speak to their hearts right now. I pray for those that have been suffering in affliction and trial. I pray for them, Lord, that they would take this humble message before you and take it to their heart and say, Lord, I need to trust you by faith and stand where you want me to stand. And I pray for all those here who are great examples of faith. Lord, that they would just continue, Lord God, humbly yet standing firm and fast in your precious word. Bless them and continue to bless this wonderful fellowship. And I pray, Father, for the ministries of Calvary Chapel that are going through tremendous trials and struggles. Bring us all back to your word, to your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all.